L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. And today my name happens to be Ben. But most importantly, you're here, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming. Welcome to Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. And boy... We have a story for you today. Oh, yes, a story that spans the centuries, the, the, the seas, mm-hmm. or, the, or the oceans. Full disclosure, everybody, we talked about this off-air for a second. and uh, Oh, it was on-air. It was on-air? It was. It was, but we cut it, right? Yep. Okay, Whew, great. Uh, so there is, a, uh, there is a small difference between an ocean and a sea, we found out. Who knew? Who, besides pro- everybody but me. Besides, I didn't know. It's, it's very kind of you, Ben. I appreciate it. I really had no idea that a okay. sea is part of the ocean, partially enclosed okay. by land. Is that like an isthmus? <laughs> it's like an isthmus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, so we wanted to put a little bit of uh, geography into the show today because our topic concerns uh, geography, as you will find out. And I don't know why I, I try to tease this sometimes as though people are blindfolded and just randomly smacking the keyboard and not reading the title. I whatever. think that's a fun idea. Listening to podcasts with absolutely no context of what it is. You just hit play and you just go for it. It's like someone making you a, a mixtape. Yeah. Hey, that's pretty cool. Uh, but before we go into it, I would like to, uh, ask you, ask for mixtapes. No, I'm kidding. Don't no. feel it. Do it. Yeah, if you guys want to send us mixtapes. Can I just say one thing real quick? Yeah, yeah. Um, My girlfriend and I recently exchanged presents because she's going to London 
for uh, the Christmas holidays. Oh, that's right. We'll double back around to that once we get into the topic. But <laughs> she got me a mixtape on a thumb drive that came in this awesome little cassette-shaped box, and the thumb drive fits inside, and it has a little flap that comes up, just like on a cassette, where she hand-wrote all the names of the songs on it, and it's like a whole thing. So anybody out there looking for a clever, late Christmas gift, go on Amazon and look for mixtape. USB stick, and you know, I thought it was really creative. That's, That's too involved. She must really like you. That's fantastic. I was impressed. I'm a little, uh, and it's and the mixtape happens yeah. to be fire. So, oh yeah, yeah, it's all fire. Oh, yeah. Is it as good yeah. as CVS Bangers Volume Three? No, well, no, I, I didn't know. <laughs> Nothing as good about, as that. It, yes, it, That's it, different. It's on par. It's, it's a on par. Well, that's, that's a huge. horse of a different color. But, oh yeah. Well, congratulations. I'd love to. I'd, can we hear it sometime, or is it like a personal thing? I'll have to decide later. Okay. that You know what? That's fair, Noel. That's fair. Uh, so today we're going to do something a little bit different. We have a short segment for you. Uh, let's just call it In the News until we think of a more clever name. Yep. And here's the intro for that segment. Okay. So our question uh, or suggestion in the news recently came from Twitter via a listener named Supra Chib who asked us uh, if we were going to talk about these mysterious ghost ship washing up on shore uh, in Japan. You guys have heard about this, right? Because of that, our Twitter friend. Yeah, because of some people on Twitter. Well, what it what turns out what happened is that for uh, the past two months, at least a dozen boats carrying the remains of a little less than 30 people have been found drifting off the coast of Japan. No idea who these people were for a long time. The news had no idea why they were coming. But from what we know so far, it appears that these um, these are fishing vessels and it appears that they're coming from North Korea. So and they think that yeah. because uh, weren't some of the I guess the clothes on the bodies seem to be from Korea or right. made featuring Korea? Uh, featuring the uh, lapel badge of Kim Jong-il, which most people outside of North Korea do, or the DPRK do not wear. So it appears that they're going that way. One of the big questions was whether these, uh, whether these people were attempting to defect from the country. But the problem is that the path they take doesn't really make sense because if you were going to defect, according to, uh, John Nelson Wright, uh, who is ahead of the Asia program at Chatham House, if you were going to defect, you would head south to South Korea rather than going across to Japan. So the other theory right now is that these ships were ill-fated, ill-fated fishermen who mm. were sent out to try to bolster dwindling food supplies. Yeah, maybe go out a little further than they normally would or something. Seems like if you were going to defect too, you might ditch your Kim Jong-il pens. Well, yes. well yeah. I don't know, maybe. That's true. For me, it's kind of a cover, right? If you're like, oh, no, no, we're still all good. Everything's that's a, yeah, good. That's true. That's I true. don't know. That's, that's a good point. So it's strange because there have been a lot of wrecked boats drifting towards Japan every year. There were more than 60 last year, and most of them were empty. The mystery continues. Right now, there's pretty, there's pretty good evidence, or that's pretty solid speculation that there would be a bunch of ill-fated fishermen, but of course there might be something more to the story. So stay tuned, and if you have a lead on it, let us know. So what are we actually talking about today, Ben? 
<laughs> oh, uh, I'm glad you asked, Noel. Yeah, thank you for putting up with my short attention span theater. We are talking about a very strange thing that uh, we looked into most of this week, which is the conspiracy theory that the United Kingdom owns the United States or controls it. This is something you may have already heard about if you are existing in this conspiracy sphere on the Internet the mm-hmm. way that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's an old theory. It's pretty strange. We really got to delve into it because we did a video this week with all-time conspiracies, and they were discussing how dangerous the United Kingdom is, and we decided we were going to look into this question. But they're so polite. So, so polite. They just kill you with kindness. <laughs> and if you check out the, the comments, uh, from people who live in the UK on that video, yeah. it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. There, there are a bunch of people saying, Oh, the jig is up by Jeff. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> hide their bodies. So before we talk about the, the, this theory, we've got to talk a little bit about the history about one of the, um, most important breakups in the Western hemisphere. <laughs> So everyone, if you would, cast your memories back to the 1770s, when Britain still owned the 13 colonies that were carved out of Native American land. These were Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia. Mm, That's a good one. It's a good Mm -hmm. one, yeah. I'm fine with that one. Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, and Virginia, or as I like to call it, Old Virginia. That's right. Um, the relationship between the colonies and the crown was, let's say, tense, to say the least. So during the previous decade, Britain passed numerous acts meant to suppress and control their colonial underlings, I suppose they would mm-hmm. see them. It was very close to what you could call economic warfare, essentially, that they waged on their subjects. Yeah, right. Mercantilism. We all remember this maybe from uh, history or social studies, that being a system wherein raw materials, it's resource extraction, right? Yep. Timber, lumber, fur, whatever else people are into at that time, shipped off to uh, the Owner of the colony. Yeah, the motherland, the, the home, yeah. the well, home yeah, country. Yeah. Because this was a brand new land full of wondrous things. It was just bountiful. Let's take all of it. Mm-hmm. In return, they function as a captive market to buy manufactured goods from this homeland. So in other words, they're breaking their backs, extracting these raw materials, shipping them back to Britain, who are then using these raw materials to make goods that they are then selling back to the colonists. Yeah. It sounds yeah. familiar. Doesn't sound like a particularly sweet deal, if you ask me. I mean, it depends on who you are in that deal. That's mm-hmm. fair. Because it's good to be king, baby. Yeah, no doubt. You know? But uh, so that's that's a great backgrounder. Here are a couple of examples of what happened during those decades leading up. Uh, 1761, the British officials decide to stop smuggling because, you know, they're, they're getting a, uh, oh, that's right. We're still a family show, a boatload of revenue off of each boatload, each boatload. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, you got me, man. Uh, so what they wanted to do is invade people's pi- uh, privacy by using general search warrants when they could just go into a house, anyone suspected of smuggling. And the colonists said, uh, Hey, now, Hey, now, we're English citizens, and you shouldn't be able to do that. And England was like, LMAO, GTFO. Mm-hmm. 
in that what, time. What kind of smuggling were you talking about? Like, were they stealing materials? Uh, were they smuggling things like to other family members? Like, I'm just wondering. Right. This would be uh, this would be smuggling in the sense of not necessarily an illegal good, but because you know now when we think of smuggling, we think of several things. We think of drugs, mm-hmm. weapons. And human beings, right? Those are general. Trafficking is the word I guess we trafficking. Like to use, sure. Yeah. But back then it would be something when uh, it would be a situation where you're more than likely just trying to avoid paying an excise tax. I see. So it yeah, you're be, stealing from the crown. Yeah. It could be cotton. You know what I mean? There's cotton. Uh, there's a cotton tycoon somewhere. I don't know. That's a bad example. But all right. So other things in 1763, uh, the British decided that no colonist could advance west past a certain past a certain area here's an imaginary line mhm and uh, you know i think that's fortunate for the people who lived still lived in the western area and once lived in the area that the colonists discovered or whatever however this was considered a betrayal by a lot of people who had come to the colonies to explore westward and then they said you can't use colonial currency to pay back your debts. It's got to be sterling money. Yeah, that's a metal. big deal. And then, of course, you know, quartering act, stamp act. Uh, then this leads up to the Boston Massacre in 1770, uh, where some snowball throwing went wrong. Five civilians ended up dying from shots fired into the crowd. Then the Boston Tea Party. Then what's called the Intolerable Acts, where... Uh, Parliament, the UK or the British Parliament ordered the port of Boston closed until the tea was paid for and passed other measures that were supposed to punish the people of Massachusetts by depriving them of what rights they had remaining. And we all see where this is going, right? Yeah, to the Revolutionary War, to the thing that we're taught in history as, you know, the the birth of our nation. This is this is how we became the United States of America by fighting back against our oppressors. Mm-hmm. And on April 19th, 1775, the war began at Lexington and Concord. And it lasted for eight years, ended on September 3rd of 1783. Um, and as the war stretched on, support for the conflict uh, diminished in Britain. Popular opinion sort of shifted to kind of support the colonists. More and more people believed the war cost more than the colonies were actually worth. So maybe they weren't exactly siding with the colonists, but they realized that this was something that was uh, ultimately sort of a losing battle. Well, yeah, this is a, a thing that happens throughout history where there's a conflict in lands that are not your own. And the populace starts saying, why are we spending all of this money to go and fight over there? At some point, there is a there is a breaking point in the opinion of the populace. Yeah. And, and the question is, what, what benefit is this to us? Yeah. Because the, the colonies had a much smaller military force, but they also had a much shorter trip to yeah. the fight. So as you, as you said, Noel, uh, this ends the war, right? 1783 and it officially ends. The reason we have the official day and Day and date is because it was ended by the Treaty of Paris that said, okay, the beef is squashed. Here are our conditions, our new relationship or whatever it will be. And it had some interesting stuff. You know, it, it said that there were private debts that had to be returned. The property of British citizens had to be returned to them. Uh, the 
colonies were granted sovereignty, which is the big one, and even some uh, fishing rights. So with the Treaty of Paris in 1783, the U.S. became its own sovereign, independent country. Or did it? Here's where it gets crazy. There are a lot of people that you will run into, perhaps, late night at a bar. Maybe they've had a few tube, too many to drink. Too many, too many loggers, perhaps. Maybe they're just... Uh, <laughs> maybe it's Nolan and I. <laughs> maybe it's me. Who knows? But you might run into them who will tell you that the United States is not its own sovereign nation. No, no, no. In fact, it is controlled still by its ancient mother, Great Britain. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, that, it sounds like a lot to take in or consider, but this is similar to other theories. There are, there are a lot of theories of what I would call foreign control, right? The sure. idea that there's another state, be it Saudi Arabia or Israel controlling the U.S., the idea that it might be a bank, the idea that it might be a bigger institution like the uh, United Nations or something. Uh, but one of the most elaborate arguments for this theory came from a website called The Forbidden Knowledge. So according to this site, the Treaty of Paris was actually a way for the king to rid himself of obligations and liabilities to the colonists uh, while retaining, you know, financial advantage because the colonists still had to repay certain debts that they had. Uh, there's a concept that the U.S. is not so much a nation as it is a corporation. Huh. And even in the age of increasing corporate power, there's still a huge difference between a private corporation and a state. Right. This is also something you might hear uh, from a writer called Alex Christopher, an author of a book called Pandora's Box. And uh, this this is one of the big proponents of it. And he argues that we're still subject to the British Commonwealth, right? This concept is uh, is pretty similar in a couple different places. To the author of Forbidden Knowledge, uh, or on that website, they say that the difference between a corporation or a corporate charter and a country remains in the state-level constitutions. And uh, we've got a quote here. Who wants to do the honors? I got you. I have always used a copy of the North Carolina Constitution provided by the state. I should have known better to take this as the final authority. To my knowledge, the following quote has not been in the Constitution the state hands out or in those in use in schools. The 1776 North Carolina Constitution created a new corporate charter and declared our individual freedoms. However, the same corporate charter reserved the king's title to the land, which restored and did not diminish his grants that were made in his early charters. If you remember, I made the claim that legally we are still subject to the king. In the below quote, you will see that the king declares our taxation will be forever and that a fourth of all gold and silver will be returned to him. Yielding and paid yearly to us our heirs and successors for the same, the yearly rent of twenty marks of lawful money of England at the Feast of All Saints yearly forever, the first payment thereof to begin and be made on the Feast of All Saints, which shall be in the year of our Lord 1660 and 5, and also the fourth part of all gold and silver ore, which, with the limits aforesaid, shall, from time to time, happen to be found. 
And if I may, in the battle of the accents, I concede to you. So. Oh, what? Benjamin, no, you did. win. We had. Uh, I didn't mean uh, to start off with one, by the way. I was trying to just. I, it, it, I slipped in a it's, little. It's fun to read things in accents. I, I thought that worked. Um, I think that worked pretty well. We're passing the quotation around. You know. I feel like the the strength of the accents went uh, up and to the right. I just felt. I feel like <laughs> in our graph. <laughs> no, I think it was all. I think it started at the top and right and stayed there. So there are. Th- this is interesting, right? When you listen to that, it might take a few listens to really have all that sink in of what this gentleman is saying. Um, but there are some other ideas regarding this subject of who controls the United States and possibly why. One of them is that the U.S. is not necessarily controlled by, let's say, the crown, by the royal family, the queen, and uh, all of her youngsters, mm-hmm. but instead by this place that we've been researching this week. That is awfully strange. The city of London. Now, this is the reason that why this is weird is because it's an incorporated city smack dab in the middle of Greater London, and it's it's very tiny. I think there are what eleven thousand people who actually reside in the city itself. Mm-hmm. It's some some very small number compared to the number of people who actually live in. Greater London. Right. And, I mean, there's a lot of sprawl in that area in general. So yeah, but it's a it's very very tiny. Mm-hmm. And I think three. I think the quote that I'd read was three hundred thousand people come into quote the city of London oh, just to, to work. work. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they have a trade association and guild or the the control of the city of London. The is, livery companies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the livery companies, medieval guilds that turned into corporations. And will still call themselves something like the Worshipful Company of Grocers or Drapers or Fishmongers. And there's no monging of fish. I, you know, I have to say, just as a side note, I'm kind of, kind of jealous of those groups. I kind of want to be in a worshipful organization of video producers. Mm-hmm. A, that, vid- that a video monger? Awesome. Yes. That'd be great, you guys. A vidmonger? Yes, please. I'm, I'm also envious. Uh, so that, the city of London is a place that I think deserves its own episode, but it is one of the financial hubs of the world, right? It's it's closely connected with various central banks. There are all kinds of interesting, proven things about it, and then many, many more alleged things. So that's one of our suspects for running the U.S., that there would be financial control based in the city of London, and that that is the true power behind the throne of uh, Uncle Sam. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. 
Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's, you know, that's uh, not necessarily impossible. To be honest, with sure, <laughs> it might be a bit implausible. No, I don't know. It feels like it, it, it would be difficult to prove that to me, to get me to really say, okay, yes, that's true. The city, the city of London controls all of the U.S. Uh, I don't know. Well, 529 foreign companies are listed in London and they represent about 20% of the global foreign equity listing. So one fifth of the financial power of the world. Uh, I mean, that's pretty darn big right there. Is it? I, you know, when we do the episode on city of London, we're going to, we're going to see some weird stuff here, but it's also guys, it's not unheard of for a bank to or even a corporation to interfere with the working of a country or a state, you know, especially oh, yeah. if if they're weaker. We've talked about that before on here. I think the Banana Republic episode is one of my favorite examples of that. They have great pants. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
They, uh, yeah, you, aside from, uh, the fantastic trousers, uh, what we're referring to would be a war waged by essentially a corporation with the cooperation of the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. And what was the name of that again, Matt? The United Fruit Company. They were, they were tenacious mm-hmm. in, in their attempts to maintain control over their business, uh, in, I think, South America, Central America, mm-hmm. places like that. Yeah, so typically this this does happen, like you said, with the weaker states, places that have a lot of resources, but not necessarily a lot of GDP, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So the the sheer size and scope of the U.S. economy makes it pretty tough for all but just a very few upper echelon companies to push the government around. So, you know, sure, we can confirm that corporations corrupt individual lawmakers, but they don't necessarily have as much influence as they would in a weaker country. Sure. That makes sense. Uh, so, you know, we hear about we hear about the influence that corporations can have through lobbying, but that is that is um, a pale shadow of what we would be talking about, which is somebody going in to the seat of power and saying, "Jump!" or you know, "We want South Dakota." No questions. Gosh. I imagine someone entering the Oval Office, perhaps turning off the lights, just you know taking on their own to do that, maybe going over and shutting some of the blinds and just having a stern talk with the president mm-hmm. after disconnecting the phone line, of course. So there's another, there's another idea here. We talked, we're talking about big companies, but what about individual banks or individual bankers Uh-oh. or families of bankers? Yep. You're going there. Aren't it you? gets a little trickier. You know exactly where this is going, gentlemen. Are you going to say our favorite family in the whole wide world, the Rothschilds? Or no, no, you were going to talk about the Goldman Sachs or the Astors or the Morgans, maybe? Or could it be Satan? <laughs> uh, maybe. I, I was uh, thinking more of the Rockefellers, but you, you might be on the right track. Nailed it on the first try, okay. the Rothschilds. Oh, okay. The people that uh, come up so often that we might as well just invite them on the show and, and get a sound cue or something. Yes. I doubt they would come. Uh, so, yeah, it'd have to be a, like a dun, dun, dun. Hello. Yeah. I would love that, but we would have to clear that sound cue with them in, in advance so that they yeah. don't feel betrayed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They would just buy how stuff works. Oh, that's true. They probably would. So we have, um, no idea how much money this family collectively owns. When I say we, I mean the media. Mm-hmm. I mean pretty much everybody outside of that family or outside of its um, close uh, close group of financial advisors. Yeah, because we're talking about historical money. Money that was worth millions when they originally got it and now is worth hundreds and hundreds of billions. And, you know, it's put away for children, for descendants, and then it kind of just sticks around and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, dudes, there's, there are even conspiracy theories alleging that the Rothschilds control the UK, who, you know, mm. we're talking about conspiracy theories alleging that the UK controls the US. So if the Rothschilds control the UK, then they're at the top of a pretty sick pyramid here. Yeah. Right. And then there's that quote that's often attributed to Mayor Rothschild himself, the the founder of the dynasty. Give me control of a nation's money supply. 
and I care not who makes its laws. Now, interestingly enough, I did a deep dive on this quote while I was making the video. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a, I said attributed. Yes, no, you are absolutely correct. It's, it is mostly attributed to Mayor Rothschild. However, the only documented source of it that I could find came from a uh, subcommittee within the House of Representatives in the United States. And it was a gentleman speaking about the Rothschilds. And I'm right. going to read you this quote that I could find because it it makes more sense with someone talking about the Rothschilds than a Rothschild sitting there and, and you know, making the evil face yeah, and while, saying while it. While twirling his villainous mm-hmm. mustache. And this is from the uh, Skeptoid article, right? Uh, this is not from the Skeptoid ah, article. Okay. I went directly to uh, the actual book or the... the um, the congressional the record. The congressional record, yeah, the rural, the rural credits. So this comes from Daniel T. Cushing, who is a financial writer in Washington, D.C., from February 16th, 1914. Quote, Let us control the money of a country, and we care not who makes its laws. This is the maxim of the House of Rothschilds, and is the foundation principle of European banks. It makes no difference whether you call it a republic or a monarchy. The people can never be free, as the borrower is the servant of the lender. Masterpiece theater, man. We digress. Uh, what what does this make you think of, Matt? Well, it makes me think of the Federal Reserve. Uh, that's uh, okay. a topic that we've touched on before in this podcast and on our videos. And it's one of those, it feels murky to someone who doesn't know a whole lot about the history of the Federal Reserve. And I don't know. Do, do you guys ever stay awake at night and think, why, how does this money happen? Why, why is there more and more money happening? You know, there's Federal Reserve news today, right? No. They're going to up the interest rate for the first time since the financial collapse. Like the, right. thing, the, the rate's been at zero. Yeah. I think pretty much directly as a result of that to try to help rebuild in some way. Is that yeah. correct? They yeah. said the uh, that the U.S. economy could handle a rise in rates. Oh, man, the Federal Reserve is such a confusing thing. It is. And I actually, you know, this is it, – it has sort of a, a kind of – is monarchical a word? I don't know. It, it, okay, so, you know, you've got like the chairman of the Fed, and for the longest time leading up to the financial collapse, it was this guy, Alan Greenspan, mm-hmm. right? And I saw this great clip the other day of, uh, it was from, I think it was like 2000 or something like that, and it was uh, Bernie Sanders berating Alan Greenspan during some sort of hearing, basically Whoa. saying that like, you need to, you know, meet, come with me to Vermont and like meet some regular people because you, sir, are completely out of touch and you say things and have these ideas that, you know, it doesn't matter where products are manufactured as long as, you know, our GDP is up. And even though people are losing their jobs because these uh, jobs are being shipped overseas, et cetera. And Greenspan totally defends himself and says, you know, that we have the highest standard of living of any developed nation of our size, this, that, and the other. And then uh, some years go by, collapse happens, dude has to back down. Yeah. In front of a congressional hearing, he basically says that his logic was flawed. And I don't need to divert too much from that, but I guess what I'm, what I'm, my point is, is that. Your point is that he got burned. He got, he felt burned. I guess my, my point is, is just the system, it's, it seems very, um, it's, it's, the, the fact that one person can steer this system, you know, mm. is, is very, uh, suspect and, and very strange to me. 
Right, yeah. And here's something from uh, the Skeptoid article I had alluded to earlier that I that I think can shed some light on this. So Skeptoid, of course, is a debunking and skeptic-based uh, website, right? And podcast, which <clears throat> is great. Right, yeah. It's not a what if or is it possible. It's a it starts from this is BS. Yeah, it shoots a lot of things down. I, I would say that in gathering, if you're doing your own research in this mm. and listening to this podcast, I would say it's a good place to go and get one side. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. She's a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. 
we're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, as, uh, as I've said this before and try to practice it myself, uh, but it is so important to read the stuff that you disagree with as well as the stuff with which you agree, especially considering that you're probably doing research online and you're probably using Google and Google, unless you're very careful, is going to figure out what you like yeah. and it's only going to show you that. So you'll learn even less. It's dangerous. It is dangerous and it, it's tough, but that's, that's the way of the world. Are um, you saying use Bing? I am, I am not condoning nor endorsing any search engine. Okay. I think you should do all of your searches through uh, the popular 1930s crooner Bing Crosby. Yes. Done. All you need is a Ouija board as well. A uh, Ouija board and a mixtape that he enjoys. Brought it back. Uh, all right. So Skeptoid said, has this great quotation. They they say that the Rothschilds family, while much of the story is real, that their power is often exaggerated in the modern day say there is no longer any such thing as a monolithic house of Rothschild with connections to any significant number of all scores of today's independent Rothschild business ventures. The closest thing is Rothschild's continuation holdings AG, a Swiss company that manages interest in many uh, institutions founded by the family. There are no longer any family members on the board, though about eight Rothschilds are believed to own stakes in it. And like many holding companies, uh, it's privately held, so the records aren't public. Uh, the other owners are Rabobank and Hong Kong-based Jardine Matheson Holdings. So the Rothschild's funds it manages focus on mergers and acquisitions. And although it has billions in assets, that's relatively small in comparison to the uh, sea of world financial institutions with trillions in assets. So he's saying, yes, they're big, but there are bigger things around now, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think he's putting in, for me, it puts into perspective the idea that it wouldn't be a single family controlling anything. It would be a group, perhaps an oligarchy. If this were true, uh -huh. it would be a group of... Uh, competing powers, essentially, that all maybe want a similar goal or perhaps are even fighting within themselves, which to me makes the whole thing a lot less plausible. Right. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. It's, it's easy. It's tempting to think in more Hollywoodish terms, but, but yeah, it's so we, we, oh, we should also point out one thing, the economic stats. Oh, yes. So the UK has a gross domestic product of $2.44 trillion, while the US has a GDP of $15.68 So economically, anyway, uh, officially, the US just annihilates the UK. And that's not even talking about military might or right. amount of money spent on military every right. year. Yeah, that's a really good point, guys, because I don't know how... Um, yeah, but I mean, but but if we're just, a you know a puppet government, then they, they control all that too. Well, yeah, because if they're in control, oh man, then we're just the, we're the security and they are the economic head in a way. Mm -hmm. Oh no. We're the muscle. They're the brains. We're the dumb ones. We're the bicep. Oh man. Well, they do have more experience. Yeah. They've been That's nation true. building and uh, controlling colonies for a long time. 
Yeah, it's true. And, you know, it startles a lot of people who don't live in a Commonwealth country to learn about the status of Commonwealths, you know, and why, uh, why the U.S. is not one, but Canada is or Australia is, you know, this can be, this can be very strange to someone who's not familiar with that system. So there is some degree of control there. So what's the takeaway here? No, I'm going to, I'm just going to lay it out here for you. At least what I believe. It might not be as simple as saying that the UK controls the US, but that doesn't mean there are no nefarious backdoor avenues of that kind of control, right, Matt? Yeah, you can look at several past episodes that we've done specifically on the Council on Foreign Relations. I think that's correct. I forget mm-hmm. if it's on Foreign Relations of, of I think it's on. Uh, also, the Trilateral Commission, two very interesting groups that uh, work inside the United States but have influences from outside of it. Sure, Bilderbergs, uh, the Bohemian Grove parties, mm-hmm. uh, Skull and Bones, all, all kinds of jazz. Those sound like some swinging shindigs, though, I'll tell you that. Yeah. The Bohemian Grove that one? Bohemian, just the name of it just makes it sound like having a good old time. From what I hear, it, they're world leaders who are just getting college-level smashed. Yeah. But let's not forget that the U.S., along with several other, you know, English-speaking countries, form a super tight-knit and very highly secretive intelligence community. So it's tough to know who pulls the strings. It's probably not the Queen, though. You don't think so? I, I think nope. it's probably not. I've the queen. figured it out, guys. I've just now figured it out. I know who pulls the strings. Who pulls the strings? Uh, I'm actually stealing this from an internet video I saw, I think, in 2004, but. There are three string pullers. Okay. In the United States, it's the military-industrial complex. Oh, I remember this one. In the United Kingdom, it's the financial-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And in Rome, guess what it is? The spiritual? Yeah, industrial, industrial complex. complex. Nice. So the uh, the commander of the U.S. Armed Forces and the wealthiest person in the U.K., and the Pope. And the Pope. Yes. Walk into a bar. Uh, <laughs> oh wow. No, I'm, I'm not going to try to make a joke with that. Uh, no, you can cut this if you want. Will you please do the Pope voice? El Papa? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, well, uh, that means. Wait, that no, hold on. Can I ask the Pope a question? Yes, my son. Ask away. Uh, uh, Pope? Um, so do you control the world in some way? Ask me another question. Okay, um, who does your taxes? Okay, Matt, Matt, be cool. A turbo tax. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, that was pretty close. You can't go around asking the Pope questions like that. Ah, uh, you're right, I'm sorry. Um, I just got nervous and it just started, I, questions started popping out. Yeah, I'm just, I'm glad we made it through it. We shouldn't push our luck, guys. It's probably time to get out of here, but I want to end on, I try to end on a positive note here. Who controls the U.S.? Theoretically, the voters. Yes. The- so what does that mean? We're in an election cycle right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have historically low voter turnout. It'd be cool if folks would vote. I'm not going to say who you should vote for, but I just think in general it's probably a good idea. Knowing what Ben just said is, in fact, true. That is what our system is based on. Probably a good idea to exercise that right. 
Well, think of it like think of it like the the tax you pay for the right to complain about politics until the next election. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's probably the best way to do it. And if uh, you're a person who, for one reason or another, is a conscientious objector to voting, then honestly, you forfeit your right to complain about politicians in general because you had a chance to do one very small thing. It's very small. Yeah, and again, this is an extremely complicated subject when you break start breaking down what right. one vote means in a particular area. And you're and right that. about super PACs. But, but Ben is absolutely right in that that is the one thing that you have as a power right now that you can use. I had a funny conversation with just sorry to get off on yeah, tangent, yeah. but we're closing it out. So let's let's call this the uh, the closeout tangent. No, we need a green name for this uh, this segment. Is it the closeout bros? Cause, out? It, Cause it used to be the moment with Noel. Noel. Yeah. So we need a new name. So Ooh. here's what I propose. We need a fourth person? No. <laughs> no. There's not enough air in this box <laughs> okay. for a fourth person. Um, what I propose is listeners, if you guys, we are thinking about doing some, uh, couple little segments that we pop up with here and there. Mm-hmm. So if anyone, you guys have any cool ideas for the name of the segment at the end where we kind of wrap up the topic and then we talk mm-hmm. about whatever we want to. Give us your suggestions. We're on all ears. Yeah. But what I was going to say was, um, yeah, my, uh, my roommate, um, Frank, who, who you guys know, Frank, by uh, you guys, I mean Ben and Matt. Um, but listeners, you, you should get to know Frank too. He's a lovely fellow. He's um, yeah, he's good. But we were talking last night about how it seems in, in a lot of ways that Citizens United has failed because look at what's going on. It's all of these billionaires. Like put their money behind like Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio and Trump is just trouncing both of them with his own money. <laughs> and maybe this is like an unusual situation mm-hmm. and this is like, you know, not the, this is like the exception to the rule, but as, as incredible and awe inspiring and comical as everything with Donald Trump is, I do get a little bit of satisfaction out of seeing, you know, these billionaires losing all this money. <laughs> Well, I wonder. It's early on yet as well. That's true. So. It is early on. We've seen it before with other, like Perot, Ross Perot. I mean, he was a billionaire putting forth his own money. Uh, I think, I don't think it's a new thing necessarily, but it is definitely ridiculous of the amount of money that's just being kind of thrown away. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know, everyone with Citizens United said, oh, well, this means that the billionaires right. and the corporations can buy elections. Doesn't seem like it's quite that simple necessarily. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's sort of a, a bad road to a sort of positive realization. <laughs> that's a, that's a good point. And, you know, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. I haven't thought about the impact of the Citizens United ruling. Um, yeah, I, wow. I feel like a horrible, citizen of the country and can you guys settle one thing for me real quick before we get out of here yeah whatever happened to equal time in news coverage for political candidates is that just not a thing anymore oh it's a thing for networks yeah but it's not no no not not debates just with coverage i thought there was a thing where you know if you give a certain amount of attention and coverage to Mm -hmm. one candidate that you have to match that with any other candidate is that not am i making that up did i not learn that in civics class when i was a kid you did learn that I but d- it does not seem like that's happening. That's all I'm saying. It I'm doesn't saying. seem like it applies because there will be, let's see, uh, networks that lean more to the left here in the U.S. will cover Hillary Clinton pretty extensively and not really cover Donald Trump except to say, you know, here's a gaffe or something. And then, you know, on the other hand, it's it's reversed in conservative networks. More right-leaning networks will 
show um, show clips lionizing uh, the candidate, the most successful candidate, which I guess at this point would be Donald Trump, and then just on, only report Democratic stuff if they are, you know, if there are gaffes or if there are questions or shady business with email, for instance. Yeah. Just so you know, this goes back to uh, the Communications Act of 1934, which was amended. Uh, let's see, Title 47 of the United States Code by the FCC. It, it goes way back to then, and it has evolved Clearly. over time. Yeah. yeah, evolved. That's an interesting phrase to use. Oh, one one quick thing here, guys. I just want to add some further reading to anyone who is interested in continuing along in this research. There are a couple books you can find either on archive.org or books.google.com. Uh, we mentioned these a couple of these in the video. One is The Secrets of the Federal Reserve by Eustace Mullins, which was published, I think, in 1983. Uh, there's another one by Gary H. Kaw called En Route to Global Occupation. And then a third one I just wanted to mention here, if you're more if you're interested in the Federal Reserve angle of some of this stuff, The Creature from Jekyll Island by Edward Griffin. So what do you think about all of this, ladies and gentlemen? Who do you think controls the uh, good old U.S. of A? Will it be the voters? Will it be the, the super PACs and the money behind them? Is it the Queen of England? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can check out our YouTube video, which is up. You can hear every podcast we've ever done on our website. Stuff they don't want you to know dot com. Got to take a breath before that one. And you can uh, write to us. We're all over the Internet. Yeah, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We are conspiracy stuff at both of those. Uh, if you see me lurking on Twitch, it's it's. A person, it is Matt. You it's twitching? one of us. You've been twitching? I just, no, I don't, I don't twitch. I just kind of lurk while I'm editing sometimes and I talk to people and n- nobody believes I am who I, who I say I am. So that's me. Mm-hmm. And really quickly before we get to the most important thing, I uh, just want to say thank you to All Time Conspiracies for reaching out to us again and making a video with us. Check out both those videos right now if you get a chance. If you're not driving or running or doing something productive. Okay, so if you don't want to do any of that stuff and you just want to write to us because our best suggestions always come from you, you can reach us. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. For more on this topic and other unexplained phenomena, visit youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at Conspiracy Stuff. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. 
Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.